let's talk about all the things you didn't learn at school. Let me help you understand your body, manage your mind, and explore the gifts of Mother Earth. Why? Because you have so much more control over your health and your dreams than you may have ever been taught before. Together, we will embrace it all. The ups and the downs, the ugly and the beautiful, the practical and the mysterious. It's time to navigate this thing called human life, not just be along for the ride. I am your host, Dr. Laura Hughes, and this is Earthling 101. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited about this episode, not just because my really good friend Rachel Nelson is my guest today, but because we are talking about something I think is so important. And you might think it's strange to be excited about a conversation around death and dying and grief. But in this conversation, we also talk about rebirth. We talk about leaning in. We talk about the fact that, you know, grief isn't something that we have to fix. And ironically, the only thing we will ever know for sure as humans is that we are going to die. Really, that's the only thing we ever know for sure. And we aren't taught about this. You know, we know that we're all going to die somewhere conceptually, you know, in the back of our mind. But I want you to think about your experience at school with your friends, with your family. When did you ever sit down with them and talk about death and dying and passing and your feelings? I remember my first conversation around death, like my first real conversation. And I was about 10 years old and I was sitting in my living room or my family room, I guess it was at the time. And I had just learned that my grandma wasn't my quote unquote real grandma. She was my grandma, but we weren't related by blood. And what I learned on that day was that my father, my dad's mom, actually passed away when my dad was um, very young. She was pregnant for the second time. It was right after the war. She had an undiagnosed heart condition and she passed away. So my grandfather ended up getting remarried. And that was my grandma Mary, who I always knew and loved. So what perplexed me in this moment wasn't so much that, you know, (laughs) she wasn't related to me by blood, but I was really perplexed of what would happen when she died and what would happen when my grandpa died. What would my grandpa do in heaven with two wives? Like, how would he choose? What if my first grandma was waiting there for him and then he got there and she, you know, found out that he was married to someone else? Like, these are my 10-year-old thoughts happening, right? And I was just so sad. I was just so sad at the idea of, you know, loss all over again and like what would happen. And I remember my dad saying, like, he kind of laughed. Um, He appreciated my tears, but he said, you know, Laura, in heaven, you don't have to worry about that. Like in heaven, everyone loves each other. And that was really the narrative that I was taught. I went to Catholic school my whole life until university. And there was this idea of heaven and we all go to heaven if we're, you know, we're good and we don't do bad things. We go to heaven and we'll all be reunited there. And I had this image of, you know, we're reunited there as our human selves, right? I don't know. It was just, it was this really abstract thing. And, you know, I never really had to think about death or dying again. It was just, I had this abstract concept of heaven and, you know, I I did go to a few funerals as a youth and a teen and just remember feeling sad and thinking that um, I had to I had to kind of compartmentalize that somewhere, you know? Um, I never had open conversation around death or dying until my father passed away. 
So if you follow me on this podcast, you know that 43 is my dad's angel number that I've assigned to him. And I just happened to look down on my phone and it's 443. So how ironic. Oh my gosh, got the chills. Anyways, um, I really never had to face death face on until my father passed away. And I was so fortunate that a couple of years before he passed, I picked up a book that changed my life. And it was this book called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And it was medical memoir of his experience as a palliative care physician, um, dealing with lots of people at end of life, especially elderly people, and how our Western world approaches death and dying compared to Eastern cultures. And it just blew my mind, mostly because it opened my mind up to just different ways of thinking about death. Like there were different ways to think about the afterlife. There was different ways to think about the process of dying. Dying didn't have to be sad. Dying could be a celebration. And, you know, we talk on this podcast as well about how our thoughts create our reality, right? Our thoughts create our emotions, which create our reality. And all of a sudden I had the freedom to to think about death in a much more peaceful way and a much more expansive way than I had before. So when my father passed away, it was actually a really beautiful experience. And I experienced probably for the first time what it felt like to be able to sit in deep sorrow, but also deep peace and deep purpose. Like it cracked me open into what I am really here to do and how I'm here to help people. And it was, yeah, you know, I, I could go on about that, but I won't. I really want to get to the conversation with Rachel. So without further ado, I am so excited to welcome my good friend Rachel Nelson to the podcast. And when I thought about wanting to be in deeper conversation around this and really wanting to introduce um, the idea of helping people think about death and dying and grief and rebirth in a new way, I knew it had to be Rachel both because of how she lives her life and her life experience. So Rachel has gone through some incredible loss, you know, losses that we would never wish upon anyone who we care about. And she'll explain her story as we get going. And I just so admire how she's come out the other side and how she's rebirthed herself in a way that is allowing her to help hundreds of people find hope and purpose and peace after, after death in their life. So we really want to, with this conversation, invite you to think about how you think about death now. Do you think of it as not being fair? Do you think of, you know, tragedies as they shouldn't have happened, whether that be a person passing, whether that be a relationship ending, whether that be a job ending? We want you to understand that however you are thinking about death and dying and grief right now is totally valid and normal, but we really want to invite you into new new ideas as well, because this is where you can avoid resistance to life. So often we think of when we have these these feelings come up about things not being fair and things shouldn't have shouldn't be happening, that we're resisting death, but we're actually resisting life. And I think Rachel just does a beautiful job of showing that we don't have to resist life, even if we're going through the deepest, darkest moment of our soul. Um in this talk, we talk about soul contracts, we talk about afterlife, we talk about near-death experience, we talk about deep, deep sadness and um, how to find our purpose again after that. So without further ado, welcoming my friend Rachel Nelson to the podcast.
Okay. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be here on my first interview style podcast. And this is an episode that I've been wanting to do since I launched the podcast because I think death is such an important topic to talk about as human beings. It's something that a lot of us have never really um, been conditioned to appreciate and or talk about with each other. And I just knew that it was a topic that I didn't want to just sit here and talk about myself. I really wanted to bring on someone who has a lot of experience in this realm, both personally and professionally. So I'm super excited to welcome my friend Rachel Nelson here today. She's joining us all the way from Mexico. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, I'm excited. Do you want to just briefly introduce yourself in your own words? Um, Sure. I'm Rachel Nelson, and I am a life after death coach. So I specialize in working with people with their grief, um, life after death, and exploring our views on death and grief and loss and how to integrate it all so that we can live more full lives while we're here on this earth. Yeah. So I just want to kind of give the heads up that Rachel has given me permission to ask her anything. And this being the (laughs) Earthling 101 podcast, this might, this might take a few unconventional turns because we are totally open to talking about other realms and take a five dimensional approach to talking about death. So Rachel, I think it would be really powerful if you're open just to kind of sharing your story, because I know you've had, you know, it was your life experience that brought you to the, to the beautiful work that you do now. So mm-hmm. if you could just kind of give us a little backstory on you. Yeah. So, um, it's, I always, sometimes I never know where to start because like, especially when it's around what brought me to this work, because I, when I look back on my life, it's like, I can eat, it's like kindergarten <laughs> <laughs> is, is where I really remember like being, um, very in, not enthralled. What's the right word? Like interested in death after, excuse me, my, my, um, babysitter at that age took her, she was in high school, took her own life. Um, and so I remember just ever since then I've had, like, I can trace the lines to what really brought me to this work, but the the two biggest areas and losses that brought me to doing this were first my best friend Josh who died in a snowboarding accident in Spain in 2004 and then um the stillbirth of my first son Avery in 2015 and so those are you know those are my the two biggest catalysts towards this work of really the the tragedy of my best friend and like a brother to me dying and I was only in my 20s when that happened so really like doing a lot of the grief work and and loss work through that and then into the stillbirth of my son and really you know seeing the work that I'd done through Josh and through some other incidents between Josh and Avery that really drove me towards this and um, I think losing my son was you know the the even bigger catalyst yeah and I think your story is unique isn't the right word but I think a lot of us um, 
just the way that we think about death, it's almost like we all expect to have these long lives, right? And Mm. maybe for a lot of people, it's their grandparent that passes away. That's their first experience with death. Or we just all imagine that we're going to grow really old. (laughs) And your experience, it's all young people. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of young people. My, I, of course, like my grandparent, but it was like from when I was in kindergarten and my babysitter, you know, crossing over to lots of things, lots of other people through there um, that has always brought me more of this different thinking around what, how long we're here, we're here for and what we're told to expect versus the reality. Yeah. Yeah. So I love just to ask you right now what your, what your view on death is. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. I, so, okay. Well, it's, I'm just going to tell you like why I, some of the reasons why I have this view too, but I, death I think is, a, something we all know is going to happen, but we resist deeply. It's like we don't want to believe that it's a fact or it's true. So we think by not looking at it or not, or trying to control death is going to make it not so. Really interesting. And my view on death is that I don't believe that all of us actually dies. I, I believe there is another, um, another place we go to after death. Um, and the, the reason I believe that and sometimes throw in the word know that is because of some of the very specific experiences I've had. One, um, and I'll, I'll do them in like a little chronological order, but the, the first being after Josh died um, and it wasn't Josh, it was years later um, and actually an ex-boyfriend of mine passed away um, and he came to me um, in my dreams and then I woke up and like I was having multiple dreams, like the night after he died where he was there and his brother was there, his brother was still alive and like just so many dreams, so many dreams. And I woke up just like in convulsing crying and went to my bathroom. And I remember sitting on the bathroom floor and it was, I couldn't see him, but he was there with me and we were having a full on conversation. Wow. Um, and it was so like, you know, after that, I was just like, oh my gosh, like what? And I'd always had a sense, like I'd always kind of chosen to believe that there was something afterwards. There is something after we're here on this earth, but that one started to really pull me towards more exploration of that. And then when my son, when I had my first son Avery the closest experience I can say to giving birth to him was an NDA a near or an NDE a near-death experience um and for those of you out there if you haven't 
listened to or read anything about near-death experiences. Like I hadn't really either until, until I had mine. Um, even though I hadn't died, but it, it was like through me, through the birth of my son, I had a, a in some sort of NDE. Um, I never went unconscious. I never, like, there was none of that for me, but there was something that happened. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. And I realized, yeah, yeah. Did you, you know, you knew that Avery had passed before you delivered mm-hmm. him, right? So you, yes. you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he, we had gone to the doctors and he, um, didn't, they couldn't find a heartbeat and we went straight up and started the process of delivering him. And through that process, like, um, I started to have like a, some sort of near death experience, um, with the delivery of Mm -hmm. him. Um, and I didn't really realize it until months later, I picked up, um, Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me. And her, her book, it was like, oh my, that's what happened to me. Like there were so many similarities and that's when I was like, what? Like I, I didn't realize that I just, I, I was still so in the state of like grief and some other stuff, but I realized later on that I had had an NDE during this, the birth of my son. And because of that, I, that's why I believe there is life after death, that there is something after we leave this body and we leave this, this earth as we know it. Yeah. And do you think that, do you think that we come here for a reason? I, I do. Um, I do think we come here for a reason. The, the, what I think is the biggest reason we come here is to understand what it's like to be Mm -hmm. human and to, to feel and to, to know pain, to know joy, to know what life in these bodies is. I, and I think, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons we're here. And I think you could say lots of other things around that, but that's what I, that's what I kind of think about it. I totally agree. I think, um, and that's so hard for people to understand because most of us have spent our whole lives trying to avoid pain. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we've bonded over the last year or so, just as we kind of delve deeper into how do we really help people during these times with coaching? Like we coach on different topics, just different, you know, life experience. But at the end of the day, it comes down to there's so much to discover in being able Mm -hmm. to sit with those heavy emotions. And I love the like, I I really believe that our thoughts inform our emotions. And I know you do as well. (laughs) And just the thought that this is what I came here for. Like, you know, yeah. this is the earthly experience. This is why we have five senses. This is, this is it. So yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, so take me through after this, this near death experience. I know you didn't realize at the time that you had it, but Avery had passed and, you know, you were expecting mm-hmm. to bring, you know, a healthy new baby home and you are a first time mom. So I think there's, mm-hmm. there's, different things at play here. And, you know, we can talk about death, but we also have to talk about grief, right? Because death is the action of passing on. 
but then yeah we're the ones left right the person's mm-hmm. passed and we're the ones left so so what was your grieving experience like with him because I'm not sure if you had the tools that you have now that you support people with or if like yeah yeah it it's super interesting i I feel like because even though I didn't realize that af- until I had like read that book that what I had experienced was like the closest thing to an NDE that I, you know, I think it was, but there was something about that, that I still had grief because I'm here in this human body and human form. And so there's, pain and sadness and missing and longing and all of those things that come along with it. And it was so different from the grief I experienced from losing um, my best friend and that process. Um, And I had gained so many tools, so many things from the loss of Josh, from Josh's death to then that I had a lot more tools. And then I had that experience of Avery's birth that really had shifted some something in me. Like I was still sad and I still had a lot of things, but I was at the base of everything. I was really calm, Mm. which still, still kind of like interests me today when I look back on it. And I really just attribute it to that kind of endy experience, like being, um, so present and connected to all of the things around us that we don't perceive um, while we're like, we can perceive in certain times, I think, but most of the time we don't. And I was so present to all of that. And like, so I, during his birth, I felt so much love and like, just something so much bigger and I could sense and see things in a whole different way that that left me with this really base level of calm Mm -hmm. underneath still the normal human emotions of grief and sadness and longing that was there too. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. And I I just... So I just want to inform our listeners that this isn't a scripted conversation. Like I actually didn't send Rachel questions. We're really just kind of being in the moment and just, I think that's also, it's, it's the kind of conversation where we have to do that just because it's such an abstract topic that most of mm-hmm. us have never sat in the moment and talked about before. So I'm just thinking yeah. to myself, like what a gift. I mean, I'm sure that you've, you've sat with it for a long time. Like all the gifts that Avery brought mm-hmm. you in this life, even though, he was here for such a short time, but like, what a gift that he could offer you that moment. Yeah. Because that, I I don't want to call it like an awakening, but just that that's enabled you to come to this place now where you can help so many more people unnecessarily suffer. Right. Because we talk about how suffering isn't bad, but when we suffer about our suffering, (laughs) that's when things kind of spiral. Right. Yes. And that's, that's the experience I've had helping people through grief. So like with my naturopathic medical practice, it's not the kind of profession where we deal a lot with death because most people are coming to us for wellness. Like they, right. they want to avoid that. But, you know, in working through cancer patients, with cancer patients rather, and I have done end of life care and it's just, 
it's almost it's the suffering about the suffering that yes that affects people the most can you speak to that a little bit just because you work with people so closely yeah well it's it's yeah the suffering about the suffering and it's almost like a resistance to the suffering like I shouldn't be suffering this much I should be moved on by now or move forward or you know looking at others well they look like they've moved on so why haven't I what like and so it's all of these thought loops that get created um with for many reasons but for the main to is to just kind of avoid the suffering and therefore and think we should be doing it a different way and therefore cause more suffering so it's like just spinning in this hamster wheel is what I see a lot of people do um rather than just go towards the suffering rather than trying to analyze the suffering or figure it out or make it go away Mm -hmm. um but more leaning into it going towards it and and welcoming the suffering welcoming the pain um is such a different way than resisting the suffering yeah and getting lost in it getting right? yeah yeah um yeah yeah that's what kind of i observed there's like there's this tendency to get lost in it or mm-hmm. a tendency to not want to feel it at all and just yes. kind of pretend that okay yeah i'm fine i'm fine um and it was interesting because when my when my dad passed away i had people in my life that were worried about me because they thought that I wasn't feeling my emotions enough, mm. but just based on, you know, my, my book, you had the, um, dying to be me book. My book that woke me up towards death was, oh, it was called being mortal by Atul mm. Gawande. And it was a medical memoir. And he was just talking about just all of his experiences, helping people in the hospital at end of life. And it just totally reframed just my perception on death just how we treat death in the Western world. So when my dad got so sick and passed away so suddenly, for whatever reason, I was just able to, as you say, like lean into the suffering. And when I Mm -hmm. leaned in, it just moved through me. So on the other side, it wasn't that I wasn't sad, but it's almost like we also in the Western world have this perception on how grief should look. Yes. Right? So if we're not like bawling our eyes out and like losing it (laughs) for X amount of time and then getting over it X amount of time later, there's something wrong with us. Yeah. Do you, does that resonate with you at all? Yes. I think that's very true. And, and I think, I mean, I, that's what I talk about that a lot and think about that a lot. And, um, there is, there's very much a, like grief needs to be in this perfect little package, like curated and nice. And why aren't you over it? Why aren't you the same you were like, why can't you just go back to how you were before the loss? Like, all of these things. And we say that those things to ourselves, but we hear it from the outside as well. So it, it creates all of this, it, almost like what we we're just talking about, like the suffering on top, like of the suffering, like all of just this muddled mess of crap. And like you said, the more you can just like, lean into it and be okay with however you are 
and lean into the shift of perspective you had, but also into the feelings and just feeling them however they are for you, not how others want you to feel about them helps the process. And I think the missing piece there is really looking at the thoughts and resistance and control that we have as humans, but also as a culture on death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit more? I love that, that topic. Just like how much we just resist it. It's like we absolutely try to stop it at all costs. And if you, when I think about it, it's like, oh, of course we do because we don't want to grieve and we don't want to, we want to avoid all of the feelings and all of the pain that come along with that. And so it's, again, it's like this loop thinking where we're just constantly trying to avoid things, avoid death, avoid the grief and the pain that come with death and stop all of the things at all costs and still create more worry and suffering and fear. Yes. So we're not stopping anything. We're just staying stuck in this like total weird loop of control. Yeah. So I think often as well, we think of death as being a very personal experience. Like we lose someone we love, Mm. but that's often our firsthand experience. But what do you think just about like the global consciousness of this past year. Mm. Um, I've heard some doctors and, you know, thought leaders who I really admire talking about just this collective energy of fear that's being kind of guiding the world in the past year. And does it have something to do with our fear of death and our fear of, you know, they're counting numbers all the time and saying this many people died. And it's like, we're afraid of, we're afraid of it all. And we're, you know, the risk of dying from what's circulating right now is actually quite low, but it mm-hmm. is affecting people. People are dying from it. Yeah. Um, and it's just so much, so much fear circulating. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think it, it does. Like there's, there's, I've kind of, uh, since last year, you know, 2020, I've, it's been fascinating for me to watch and be like, there's just, yeah, the fear of death, like, there's so much unneeded suffering you need to do all of these things to avoid death and to not what if you kill somebody else from Mm -hmm. this thing and it's it's fascinating it's been fascinating for me to watch how on a global scale it's just brought to light our our fear as a collective in the whole world of of dying and of feeling pain and feeling grief And how we just need to stop it so we don't feel anything. But that will never, ever, ever, ever happen. Yeah. So what do you think the invitation here is for someone who's really afraid? Someone who, I know there's lots of people out there really afraid of, Yeah. you know, this could happen to me. This could happen to someone I love. I can't control this. Like, it comes from nowhere. Well, and that's the, but that's the thing with death is like, you're never going to control it. And like, I'm just going to say this since I know we're going into, this is the conversation. Your soul, our souls already know when we're going to die. It's already, our soul has already chosen that. 
and and how and i like because of the experiences experiences i referenced earlier like that is definitely something i choose to believe and was shown to me like shown to me through my son shown to me through um my friend ben and shown to me through josh more so, you know, the latter two, Ben and my son. But, like, the more we can kind of grapple with our own thoughts on death and, like, even just considering the concept that maybe our soul has already decided this for us and just hasn't told us yet, um, the better. And I think, I think for people to grapple with it, I think watching, like, really getting curious with, like, watching the fear, but getting curious, like, what do I believe about death? Why, like, why am I scared of it? Why do I think we need to control it? You know, what am I afraid of feeling? And then I always think, like, if you, have you watched the Netflix documentary, um, surviving death yeah i have yeah yeah Yeah. like i've been like telling so many people to go watch it because it's so good and um and to to listen to podcasts read books of people who have had ndes or have you know different views on death whether it's buddhism or any religion but anything like that to just kind of open up their thinking and their consciousness around death And I think that's what can really shift people from fear and control around, like, their life and into a way to just, like, actually live. Because the way we've been operating is not living if we're constantly trying to control when and how people die. Including ourselves. Yeah. And I totally agree with that idea that, or belief rather, it's really belief. So a belief is something that we, you know, we think really strongly and we've chosen to believe it. And it is a choice. Just want to like put that out there that I love that you're choosing to believe this as am I that, you know, we have a soul contract here. And Mm -hmm. when I chose to believe that, it helped me, you know, I think most humans, we have a lot of protective shells around us, but at our nature, we're very empathetic. We feel each other's Mm -hmm. pain. We don't want each other to suffer. Mm -mm. But if we can accept that other people have different soul contracts than us and may have come here to experience different emotions, sensations, and experiences to us, what it's done for me at least is it's helped me just have a lot more compassion for their journey Mm -hmm. and more space to be there for them as opposed to, you know, try to fix them or try to fix the system around them and then cause more suffering for myself because I really have no control there and that's all an illusion. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. What, um, what was the, what was your perspective before your dad? And then how did that book change it for you? I think I was definitely one of those people who I was very fortunate growing up that I didn't lose anybody in my life Mm. until um, my grandpa was the first one that passed away. 
when I was, I think I was in high school and I had pets growing up and I know my parents got us the pets to like gently teach us about death. Like we started with Mm -hmm. hamsters, (laughs) we worked our way up to dogs. So it was, it was really sad. And we always had like a burial for the animals in the backyard and stuff. Um, but I, I was raised Catholic. So there was this idea that, you know, death, when you die, if you're a good person, you go to heaven. Mm. Um, so there was always kind of this picture of what happened, but I never was really forced to think about it. And I have, I still, I was just, I was living in the Netherlands and I was just reading all the English books I could find just because it was difficult to find English books. And I just happened to pick up that book, which I know wasn't an accident, but I can't remember the switch in it that made me think about it differently, but it was more, they're just, death doesn't have to be the scary draining thing. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested, just the, the author of this book also painted a picture because he was of Indian heritage, like from India, mm-hmm. just Eastern culture yeah. and Hindu culture and Buddhist culture, how they deal with death versus, you know, this Catholic Western experience that I experienced. And it was almost just kind of like, for the first time I realized there was a choice with how we think about it. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I realized that, oh, like this isn't necessarily the truth about death. There's, there's different perceptions here. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think that, that's kind of what I felt like I was pointing to. It's like looking at how everyone views death and what happens after we die and reading things from different places is really it is. It's like, oh, I get to choose how I perceive this and how I want to kind of move through this now. Yes. And, yes. you know, I think, and I think that that's, I, I've, I've talked to other, obviously it's what I do. I talk to people about all this like grief and death and our thoughts all the time. Um, the ones that really see that they have a choice in how they view death and how they have a choice and how they stay connected to the one that they've lost have a much different experience than those who don't. And like the experience being like they're more at ease. They they have a deeper sense of love and compassion and connection, um, not only to themselves and to life, but to the one that they lost. Because they know that they can really choose that at any time they want. And like I think that's been the difference for me too is like – knowing that I, I get to choose to how I see my, my first son, like, and the connection I have to him, like I get to choose if I see him, you know, in like my choices, like birds, like, and birds of prey, especially. And, um, bald eagles when I'm back in Colorado, that's like him to me like sending me a sign and and I get to choose if I want to speak to him and or listen for him and that's totally like I get to choose that perspective because it's also really helpful to me and I would say healthy yeah and healthy yeah and I and those who kind of 
don't quite see that they have that choice, I see way more unneeded suffering. Yeah. 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 I was just thinking about like kind of I have this like before my dad and after my dad (laughs) because my views were different. Um, And I, I have to say as well, like there was like a really acute experience of I was having my experience with his death and he was having his experience with his death. So he was suffering a lot at the end, just very, like a lot of physical pain, but he was very much at peace with dying, Mm -hmm. which helped me, you know, process it a little bit easier because no one wants to see their loved one kind of fighting it. And it just made me wonder like what the world would be like if, we could talk to each other about it while we're still alive. Yeah. So we can kind of release some of that resistance, you know? And it was really interesting because towards the end, my dad was pretty Catholic and he had the priest come in to give him his last rites. And, you know, I don't necessarily resonate with that anymore, but Mm -hmm. I really respected that that was his process and that gave him a lot of comfort. And then he started visiting me in dreams as well. And I was like, Oh, like I never was taught this in Catholic school. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they don't teach in the church that like when you die, you can come back and visit people in dreams. So it was just interesting that we could hold different beliefs around what might happen. And we still find each other somehow. Yeah. I don't know. That's offered me a lot of peace. And there's that. So all the, the reading and research and, and, you know, listening and studying I've done is like, there is so much crossover there from people getting visit visits and dreams or other signs that crosses through religion, like demographic, socioeconomic. Like it's like it's you can go find all of that in any culture, in any place in the world, um, some more so than others, too, Um Oh, I'm forgetting his name. He has a new book out. I haven't started listening to it, but I've listened to him be interviewed on a pod, some podcasts. I'll have to find it because I'm, I'm spacing on his name. But one of my favorite podcasts that really talks through a lot of this stuff, too, is called Dear Life with Christina Rasmussen. And she has... Um, many people who come on and talk about what we're talking about and who, you know, are doctors and PhDs and all of that. And who also are like, yeah, we can't explain why, you know, people report getting visited in dreams after their loved ones have passed, but we know it, it happens all over the world all the time. Yeah. And I love that. I love that you're like, I never was taught that, but it totally happened. And, um, and I just want to say that to anyone out there, if you've had that awesome, and if you haven't, that's normal too. And it doesn't have to mean anything that like, because your loved one isn't visiting you in a dream. That something's gone wrong or that they're, that something's gone wrong or like, they're not going to heal or they're not going to find peace or whatever. Like my son doesn't visit me in my dreams. He comes in other ways, you know, where Josh still comes occasionally to my dreams. And so do others. So you have another son now you have Odin who is yeah. like, must be five. Is he five? He's four. four. 
So how do you talk to Odin about Avery? How are you, Hmm. how is he incorporating the concept of death and grief into his life? We, I mean, I talk about his big brother all the time. Um, We, I, you know, I, I, I'm just very open with it. I think, I think kids want the truth um, in an age appropriate context. Right. And he's never, I've never told him like what happened. Cause I, I don't think that that's an age appropriate context, but I do tell him he had another older brother who died and, and that's his big brother, Avery. And we, we talk about him a lot and he isn't quite at the point where he asks questions. He's just like, yeah, but he's not here. And I'm like, yeah, he's not here. Like, and it's really simple and sweet. And I'm, when he gets to the point where he may start asking more questions, I will like always answer truthfully about it. Cause I don't, I think the more we are truthful with our kids about death, um, the easier it is for them to understand. It's when we get all weird, like, okay, I'll give you a funny example is we had to put my dog, Goose, um, we had to put him down a year and a half ago. And he was, he was 13 and just, you know, having heart failure, having a really hard time. And he, he actually went and we had a, in our house in Colorado, we have a heart shaped rock that we put in that was we was our dedication to Avery my first son and I got home from something and Goose went by the rock and I went and sat with him and he looked up at me and I it was like that was all I needed you know it's like I want to go be with Avery I'm ready and we decided that night that the vet would come to our house and that we would include Odin in um, putting down the putting down of goose. And Odin was there and just being a, he was three something at the time, you know, wild. And he understood, but he was still in his three-year-old play and brain and all of that. But what was great at one point, I think it was that night or maybe the next day. And I, I said, you know, Oh, Goose is, you know, passed. And he goes, no, he's not. He's, he died. Like, they just are so matter of fact about it. And, like, I realized that he had done that. Like, there, there was another time before that we were at my dad's house and this, we'd found this dead mouse. And I was like, oh, the mouse is no longer here. He's like, yeah, he is. He's right there. He's dead. <laughs> it's, it's like normalizing it. And it's. So, and, and that's the thing is like the more we normalize it for ourselves and for our kids, um, I, I think the better they will be equipped to deal with like death and the, and the more we talk about it in a uh, loving and calm and clear way with them, it, it will change how they grow up to view death because it will happen like 
we will die as their parents. They will have friends die, pets die, loved ones, all of that. So the more we can talk about it, I think the better. Yeah, the more it just becomes, it's the circle of life. It's like we celebrate birth. We should be able to celebrate death in the sense that. Yes. Well, yeah. And what's interesting, what's really cool. I don't know if you like, so there's this new, I don't want to say trend because I don't think it's, it's not a trend, but it's, there's always been so much focus on like a hospice care and hospice workers. And they have a lot, like when you really sit with anyone who's worked in hospice, it's, um, it's really beautiful to talk to those people about death, but there's a new, um, what's the word job, I guess, or something like people are becoming death doulas. So, you know, we have doulas for the birthing process and after, and there's now emerging more people wanting to do what is called being a death doula. So helping not only the person who might be dying, but helping the the people around them. And it's obviously more for, um, people with terminal, terminal illnesses. But I think that there's, there's something there for people who aren't dying, but have experienced a close one that they love die or watch them die, that they need someone like that. Or like myself, you know, it was a, a life after death coach, but someone hold even, I recommend anytime people come to me that have someone who is a, terminally ill and dying instead of working with me right then I try to find help them find a death I think that's so beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. like that transition is so beautiful and powerful and I know we we both have a a mutual admiration for Zach Bush for Dr. Zach Bush and he spent a lot of time in hospice care I love how he speaks about death and rebirth and all that is there for us to learn. Yeah. And I mean, I believe like you that there's life after death. So there's a rebirth in that sense. The actual person is being reborn, but I really feel like I had a rebirth going through Mm -hmm. the grieving process and it's available to all of us. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. even though you may not have experienced this year, a death in your family or in your circle, I I just feel like, again, this collective energy of the world right now, there's a real opportunity for rebirth for lots of people. Like people are losing jobs. They're losing Mm -hmm. a way of life that they've always known. Um, I mean, I went through a divorce in the past, you know, couple of years. That was a, that was, that was a death. That was a death, a massive grieving process that, you know, I thought I was prepared for and maybe in retrospect wasn't, but feel like reborn, not better or worse on the other side, but just... Mm -hmm. It's almost like I, I picture kind of like a kaleidoscope of it's just like more dimensions being mm. revealed to me about my soul journey <laughs> here on earth, essentially. Yeah. 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 Cause like, div- like I, I talk about this with my clients a lot too, is like not only cause some of my clients don't come to me having experienced a loved one die. Like they're grieving um, the death of a relationship or like 
I have one who's just a mom of two kids and she's just grieving her old life deeply. And she's having a really hard time transitioning and rebirthing herself into a new person because so much of you, of your identity dies in a transition like that. And and like, I'm saying that because it's probably same for you, like in a divorce, so much of your identity and how you view life probably, yeah, died (laughs) with the the death of that relationship. Yeah, I feel like I'm, yeah. And that's why it totally is a rebirth process. Yeah. So like when you, I feel like I just admire the work you do so much because grief, we talked about like leaning into that emotion. It's, it's probably, Mm -hmm. I think one of the heaviest emotions there in the human spectrum of emotion and it can swallow people up. So how would you, what would you advise people? How do you define healthy grief and unhealthy grief? Or like, how can someone tell if they need to, you know, talk to someone or, you know, I think grief is healthy. I think Mm. grief can take five years for some people. It can take a month for some people, but how can someone recognize when, okay, I'm stuck in a spiral here. This isn't healthy. Some help. Yeah. I, I, my personal belief is like everyone needs help with their grief. Like it shouldn't be, there are times when yes, like, um, this beautiful like Buddhist teacher I follow, like, okay. (laughs) So the book, uh, with this Buddhist teacher is he talks about how there's this, this fine line of, we need, um, like alone time in our grief to really just be with our own grief and how we also need community. Um, and we can get kind of lost in one or the other um and how trying to really find the balance of two can create more like good grief versus um grief where you one of my teachers would call get like stuck in the grave with the person oh yeah that image yeah i know what you mean Uh, by that because grief does it takes a certain amount of just your own time with it because it's so unique to each of us and every loss will be unique. It will not be the same as a loss prior. And so there's a certain amount of like um, personal responsibility of kind of owning your own process of grief that it takes and knowing that, I don't want to use the word isolation, but um, personal time, like alone time, is so valuable. And how also having support, finding, you know, like a, a therapist, a coach, a counselor, a community to also go through the process with. And I think really creating the two for is so important for having your like your grief turn into good not that grief not saying that grief is bad that is not what I'm implying but when you kind of find the right 
mix of those two things, it's, it will only allow for growth and for healing and for moving forward. Whereas only like, this is where I will use the word, like isolating yourself will, will never allow to, to, to see and feel and create the gifts that are waiting and there for them. And only like going back to work, be like doing community, like doing all of that doesn't it you people then attach their grief to that where you need a little bit of balance there. Yeah. And I love how you teach as well. So if you guys aren't following Rachel on Instagram, you should follow her there because she shared really profound just wisdom in her squares. Um, you teach that you can move forward while grieving. Yeah. And you can create beautiful things yeah. in your life while going through this process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be so black or white. No. And it's, it, our, I think our brains sometimes want it to be black or white, right? I mean, I don't know about you, about your grieving process. And if, if that happened to you with your father, um, but we can't like, you know, we can kind of default back into old coping mechanisms and some, and then that will, sometimes we choose to stop it at some point, but that's the key thing. It's, it's actually a choice in how you move forward while also like moving forward with your grief. You know, there's in the grief industry, there's a lot of talk how grief, like, you never heal grief. You never, it will always be with you. And I, I agree with that to a certain extent. I think it can, that can get, in my opinion, strewed out of context a lot. Um, and more so on a personal level, like I feel like I have, because of my grief, also done so much more healing. And I, I don't ever feel like healed from the, don't know the right word like I still am sad I still miss my son I still miss all the people in my life that I've lost that are on the other side that are you know not on this earth in their physical bodies anymore but the the wounds have healed I now know how to like manage them yeah and work with them versus be you know, versus like, nope, it's done, moved on, I'm good now. Like, I don't think that that happens, but sometimes people think that if the word healing or heal gets used with grief, that that's what it is, but it's not. It's like the scars are still always going to be there. I'm reminded all the time. I know the scars. I feel the scars. They're internal, you know, can't see them, but I, I know they're there. And I know how to work with those scars now. And I know how to manage and feel my feelings and my emotions and my grief so that I can still move forward and help people and be in joy with my family and also hold sadness at the same time because they're the same hand. Yeah. And I think that's what's so powerful about the work you do. 
And it's so subtle, maybe compared to a therapist or a counselor who also do beautiful work and, you know, Mm -hmm. people find who they need to find on their journey. But it comes back to this idea that you can choose to believe things, right? So I'm just thinking of, Mm -hmm. and it's just the way that we're conditioned as human beings, how, you know, people tell us things and we take them on as our truth, not even recognizing that this doesn't have to be that way. So I'm thinking of like what you just said there, how in the grief industry, which is, you know, an interesting word, industry, but... It is like there has to be industry to help people get through certain things. Grief is one of them. Um, But like if they're saying, you know, the grief is always going to be there that could plant a seed in someone like, okay, that means that I always have to feel a little bit sad or that means like, Oh, I'm always going to feel like this. And the more you tell yourself, I'm always going to feel like this, the more you create that result in your life. Right. So I love what you do in the sense that you help people see, like you can create the results you want in your life. And it comes from what you're choosing to believe. I'm sorry. My dog is like shaking. It's time to go to the beach. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to never have sadness or you always have to have a little piece of sadness. And if you don't, it means something. It's just, again, this freedom that yeah. comes and this expansion that comes from it all being okay. I don't know. It's so esoteric yes. at the same time, really practical. It, yeah, it is. Like, it's almost so practical that our brains can't quite know how to wrap themselves around that. But once you can kind of get curious on, like, is if it's practical or not, and not really be, a, like, in that question if it's practical or not, but just be like, well, what if this is true? Could I just try that on? Could I, you know, like, what if I don't want it to mean that? Like, I don't have to carry around this, this heavy backpack of grief all the time in order for, because if I put that down, then it means I don't love my person anymore. I'm not, if I'm not sad, I don't love them anymore. You know, like all of the, the, the thoughts that kind of get created about, around that, but it doesn't have to mean that if we choose not to. Like, I chose to put those, you know, heavy bags, and heavy stuff down and know that it doesn't mean that. And in fact, like, because I'm still so connected to my son, I know he doesn't, like, that's not what he wants. And that's not why he chose what he chose in his, you know, short life in my stomach. He chose to show me something differently. And that's not what any, I don't think that's what any of our, our people who have passed on want for us. They, they, they know so much differently. They want us to put those bags down and, and carry love for them rather than grief for them. Yeah. And I see that just in the way you show up every day. Like you can feel Avery around you. You can feel, I don't want to say I can feel (laughs) your scars. It's more like it's part of you and you own that. And you and your husband have chosen this beautiful quote unquote unconventional life for yourself, you know, move to Mexico, you know, between Colorado and Mexico and giving Odin, you know, an untraditional childhood. And I just love that you guys are just following your soul expansion um, that came from healing from that experience. Yeah. And I mean, I was actually thinking of it this morning too, like, cause it, again, it goes back to choice. And like, 
I choose that my grief and my journey through grief and with grief is it will all it's grief is a natural thing that will that always already exists and it just shows up sometimes so it's just like sadness or joy or anything it's it needs to be just an emotion like we all experience and because it does have a more intensity around it I choose that it's more of like a portal towards not only the soul's expansion but to the divine you know and it really can be that when when you decide it could be that for you I just got chills I love that um I also (laughs) I want to just finish up with a few about what you do so I know that you incorporate plant medicine into supporting people and mostly because that was a huge help for you when you were healing and just processing your grief with Avery can you speak just a little bit about I I just I love this idea of a that there's natural tools that can really support us and that you know we have Mm. come to earth to have this earthly experience and the earth you know you know, has tools for any emotion that can come up for us. Like if you're grieving, there's gifts from mm-hmm. the earth that can, that are designed to help us be with, with this heaviness. So um, just really briefly, like how you do that work. Yeah. I, yeah. Plant medicine played a gigantic role after I lost my son, um, after Avery was stillborn. I, I, I came home and I didn't have a lot of tool. My body was, you know, like the thing with stillbirth and losing a child at early infancy is there's, there's so much more physical things on top of, and grief is already a very physical experience too, because we're in a physical experience already. (laughs) And, but it can do a lot of things to our physical body. And then you layer on top pregnancy and then not actually having a baby for that body to take care of. Um, so the plant medicine I had, the oils I had were a huge help in my healing, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically. I was, I remember the first day I got home, I had some oils on my counter and it was just like, it was the first thing I went to. Um, like my body intuitively, something intuitively drew me to them. And I love when people, are open to incorporating oils and other holistic ways of also bringing things into their grief journey and and their views on death. I love incorporating that stuff. I think that it is super, super, super helpful. And especially in the terms of like grief and loss and death affect our sleep, our appetite, our, you know, our mental capacity. I'm actually about to read a book on a neurologist wrote about, um, grief, the grief, how grief and loss affect our brains. Uh, I'll report back on that. <laughs> and, but the oils like had such a big, have such a big impact on helping our nervous system recalibrate because grief is such a big impact on the nervous system. And I think they can be an amazing part of our, our healing process of grief. And because they were for me, 
Yes. So we have a lot of listeners who use their oils, love their oils. So as we navigate 2021, which just Mm -hmm. seems to be getting more and more, um, let's say, potential to contribute to grief than everyone. What I'm going to put you on the spot. What are three oils that you would recommend people have in their arsenal to reach for? Um, Rose is the first one that I thought of. I think it's just, uh, um, I mean, it, it, it helps with our own self-love and over the heart on the elbows, elbow creases, um, that one topically for sure. Um, breathe is always one I recommend it's, uh, in Chinese medicine, grief is associated with the lungs, which is weird that whatever's yes. going, the thing the going thing, around yes. is associated with our lungs. There's correlation there. Um, so breathe can really help expand our capacity to hold all emotions in our heart rather than close off to any emotion it's just when we use breathe whether it's diffused topically or you know aromatically whatever it it just expands the capacity to breathe into all the feelings and emotions that will come up and to move through them yes, in a more and for our canadian way. listeners that is easy air and in europe That's easy air. i think it's called yeah. air but yes okay and number three air. yeah Number three, um, my go-to was vetiver. Um, it's just so deeply grounding and calming to the nervous system when it's like, basically when loss and grief happens, it's like your foundation gets knocked off. Like you get knocked off your feet and your foundation. And so I think vetiver, because it's a root oil, can help um, integrate us back into our own body and feet and experience. And like for me, I remember after my, uh, after the stillbirth of Avery, I, we went to Santa Fe and I wanted like, I wanted a hot stone massage. Like I just wanted someone to like rub me in hot stones and then bury me in the earth. (laughs) Like, and not like it not because I wanted to like die but it just like I just I wanted like that mother nature rooted earth pressure that feeling yeah again and so vetiver yeah vetiver um I think can really help kind of create like a holding um for our physical and mental bodies that we need during grief I know about for grief I love that and just knowing that it comes from Haiti which I just love the energetics mm-hmm. of the oils and the land that they come from and the culture that, you know, sources them. Um, we could have a whole podcast on like different cultures and how they approach grief and death, but you know, in Haitian culture, that's very interesting. Yeah. So. Okay. Thank you so much, Rachel. This is amazing. Yeah. So much food for thought for people. What does it look like to work with you? Like if mm-hmm. someone is really struggling right now, whether they've lost a family member and, or as you said, like, I know that a lot of your work is just with people you know, knowing that they want to be reborn into something or they're grieving 
a past version of themselves or a relationship, Mm -hmm. what does it look like to work with you? I, right now I do one-on-one coaching with people. Um, and I do that for a year with people. I like to work with people for a year because grief, it's a, it is, it's a lifelong journey. Um, and so a year is really where I like to work with people. I start with consults with people to see if I'm a good fit or if they maybe need something more, you know, something more therapy wise, or again, like I mentioned earlier, doula wise, but, um, that's how I like to work with people. If they're interested in more of the oils aspect, I have, they can reach out for an oil consult too. And I have a lot of info on my Instagram and some links and, um, I'm going to link up some books onto my Instagram too, that I mentioned and podcasts, but I'd love to anyone out there that's needing help with grief just find me on Instagram. They can just, there's a lot of great info there and they can just, yes, I'm going to link all your stuff in the show notes and I didn't even say that, but so Rachel and I, we actually, that's how we met was in doTERRA. We're on the same doTERRA team. And I just, I think it's really important. I mean, you guys know from listening to the podcast that I also work in doTERRA but that you really, you get the support from the person who resonates with you and who can really support you with what you're going through. I think Mm -hmm. there's a different level of healing that happens there. So if anyone is listening to this and feels really called to, they haven't ever used oils and they were like, no, I know I need to do this work. And it's with Rachel, like she's your girl to, to purchase doTERRA from. So Mm -hmm. amazing. Okay. Anything else, any message you want to leave us with or any esoteric big Zach Bush type thought for us that <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be scary to to open up conversations about death um, and that the ones we love that are on the other side they want us to they want us to be talking about this oh, more chills. thank you okay we're going to end on that, but thank yeah. you again, Rachel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. Yeah. So awesome. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Earthling 101 podcast. It would be so amazing if you would take a moment to hit the subscribe button from wherever you're listening or leave a quick review on iTunes. For any questions, comments, or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, please visit me at my website, drlaurahughes.com, or on Instagram at drlaurahughes.com.